I think we have to be careful of the language we use without fully understanding what it means mm. or saying things that we're doing and then not actually doing it in practice. Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Our guest today is Mark Partington. Mark is a senior lecturer in sports coaching at Edge Hill University and is also a coach in the academy system. Mark and I recorded this back in June and we discussed the research he's been involved in, which includes topics such as coach behaviours, questioning, reflection and providing a clear rationale for choices made when coaching. It was really refreshing to speak to somebody who had a critical view on these subjects and also the phrase coaching philosophy, which is something we've discussed at length with previous guests. We think this episode will be relevant to you, particularly if you're interested in the theory that underpins practice, and especially if you're a university student studying sports coaching. If you want to connect with Mark, you can find him on Twitter, at Coach Partington, and for a list of all the papers and resources we discussed, just see the show notes. One last thing, we're currently putting together our CPD programme at Liverpool FA for 2018, so if you're a coach in the local area looking to get involved in any of our events, We're really keen to know what sort of themes you'd like to explore or what problems you encounter in your own coaching that you'd like support with. So let us know by getting in touch via Twitter or emailing wayne.wardle at liverpoolfa.com. Wayne leads on all things coach development at Liverpool FA. So that's all the updates for now. We hope you enjoy this one with Mark Partington. Apologies for the audio quality. It sounds like we're both locked in a bathroom cubicle, but it was just a room with an echo. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you along. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. We first met two, three weeks ago now. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, what your kind of day job is, what your involvement in coaching with is, and then we'll, uh, we'll crack on from there. Okay. Currently a lecturer at Edgehill University uh, and a part-time football coach within the academy for 10 to 11 years, working across the age groups, uh, currently working with the under-13s. At Edge Hill, I've been there now six, seven years, something like that, so seven years. And my main role's there, delivering on sports coaching modules, um, linking sort of the theory to practice, practice and something I suppose I'm quite passionate about as well. I like to think I'm quite applied in what I do, so hence why I'm still coaching within the, within the Football Academy. And how did you get into that? What was your route in? Um, so I did my degree at university in, in sports coaching. And from that, there was an opportunity to arise to do some voluntary work in my final year uh, undergraduate degree. Where was you? Which university were you at? Edge Hill as well. So a graduate from Edge Hill. And there was an opportunity to do some performance analysis within the youth team and little bits with the first team. Uh, Took that opportunity. um, Really enjoyed it. Learned loads uh, from doing the job. And luckily from that, uh, a job came about. was coaching the academy uh, doing some performance analysis and being like a teacher with the youth team basically 
teaching them the BTEC diploma uh, for, for the Premier League. Um, so I had them sort of three roles to start off with after I finished my undergrad. And from there, I've always been within the academy. I did two years of that, uh, moved to Edgehill as a lecturer. Alongside that, I suppose I've done my master's as well in, in sports culture at Loughborough University with a uh, Christopher Cushion uh, there, which I found very, very uh, useful and, and learnt loads and was great for my coaching practice. And I'm currently uh, carrying out a, a PhD uh, at Loughborough as well. And what's the PhD in? <laughs> it's, it's in coaching philosophy. So it started looking at coaching philosophy and what that looks like in a football academy. And it's sort of progressed over the five years to something a bit different, really. But yeah, trying to basically an ethnography approach so observations interviews document analysis um, over a longitudinal period of a season and a half within one football academy so how long have you got left on that now i'm hoping to finish by the end of this year yeah touch wood so i'm just in the writing phase which is uh, fun shall we say so then then it will, i will be able to call you dr mark is that uh, right well you can do yeah <laughs> great stuff so i really wanted to get you on the show to have you talk about your work I've read most of I think what well think most of what you've published anyway and I, like you said you're an applied coach or you like to try and apply your research into practice which is which is fantastic and I think what the listeners will hopefully find interesting is your work today what you've what you found and what are the implications and maybe advice that that you can give coaches off the back of your your own studies so Let's let's get into that now. So talk us through some of your, your earlier work and we'll, we'll go from there. Well, I suppose um, in terms of, uh, as a practitioner, um, as a coach in the Football Academy, I've always been interested in what coaches do and how they do it, but probably more importantly, trying to understand why. Um, and it's always been something that's interested me. Certainly over the 10 years I've coached, how I do things has changed, but then also my thinking underpinning that and why. And I suppose that's come from sort of my education, but also experience within the academy. And I'm always learning, always trying to improve um, my coaching. So I suppose within terms of my research, it started off looking at coaches' behaviour and understanding what and how they implement their practice and their behaviours, so how they communicate to players what kind of practice activities they set up. That was all quite interesting for me. Um, we used um, a systematic observation to tool, Christopher Cushion designed, which was, which is called a coach analysis intervention system. Yeah, I remember going to the launch day at that at Loughborough, actually, it would have been about 2012, 2013, okay, yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, so we, I, I've used that system. And basically, and, and Chris would say similar, is he says, well, he uses this term, it's a sort of a front, uh, front porch approach. So it's there to sort of access the hows and whys. But what's really important for me, and and Chris will say the same, is is to understand why the coaches do what they do. So we use the systematic observation, we use the numbers that we get from the coach behaviour data um, to start discussions, I would say, with coaches. So we would show them that data. And it's a good way to just start discussions about their coaching um, based on some objective sort of some some numbers that are there, yeah. where I found in the past if we just suddenly start talking about coaching, we've, we've not really got a point to hold on to, and we and as some of my research suggests is, and I would say from my own coaching, generally we, we have poor self awareness. It's very difficult to sort of articulate and understand everything that's happened in practice. 
so therefore we use the coach behaviour we observe we look at what coaches do and then we sort of ask them and interview them and, and understand well, why do we use this in this situation and what's your understanding of that tell me a bit more about the data that you collect or you you collected in this work then um, so what are you actually collecting on the coaches you mentioned that front porch what's in that porch so basically we started off with 12 coaches and we filmed coaches in their practice and we filmed them three or more times to identify what they're doing and I suppose that front porch is the actual behavior so things like instruction questioning type of feedback whether the positive whether the negative types of silence that they might use types um, of silence so there was a study back uh, Smith and Cush in 2006 that talked about the use of silence and that silence can be quite a positive behaviour to use for coaching. What, what and why is that? Um, to let players sort of think and understand and do for themselves right. instead of us as coaches always constantly talking at them. We give them time to think and they label silence as two things, on task and off task. Off-task silence is basically, well, we're not very interested in the practice and maybe we're talking, which is fine at times, we're talking to assistants or we're doing something other than observing practice. Mm-hmm. We're on-task on silence is basically, it's a, well, it's a behaviour that we've implemented. We're allowing, we're, we're using silence for, for learning purposes and we might be carefully observing the practice and the players in our session to plan our spots I suppose our next move or our next intervention and silence on task is a really good important tool that we could use so that would be one of the behaviours that we looked at yeah and it's interesting that you say that I've been filming lots of coaches over the last few years since technology has become more available and more easily accessed and one of the things or one of the metrics if you like that I've been feeding back to coaches if they've asked for it is during the session longest period of silence so when I've gone back through their video clips it's quite easy to see on the kind of sound wave bar if you like yeah. where those those silences are and I think over a period of maybe six months probably about half a dozen half a dozen or more coaches that I'd, I'd worked with the longest period of silence I think was about 45 seconds right. in an hour session I don't know if that marries up with any of the findings that you discovered yeah we we, we sort of found that, I suppose from when we were talking to coaches about what they wanted in their practice, they were surprised how little silence they used. And when we looked in more depths about and looked at some of the videos of their coaching, is that some of the, the things they are saying or some of the behaviours we're using, they don't realise how much they actually are talking. And if you think, I know it's been said a few times, but if you think about a player playing within a, a training session, you're constantly barking information at him. Is he actually gonna process that information? Is he actually gonna mm-hmm. learn? Is he actually taking that information on board? Is that actually helping him there in the moment make decisions and, and play the game? I suppose we would argue it would not. So silence is quite a nice behavior to use and, and, and important. And I think when we discussed and looked at the videos and showed the numbers to coaches, and I've done it myself, I've observed myself coach and systematically observed my coaching and, and I was I was surprised I, now I would argue I wanted to argue that I was a coach who asked questions and when I look back at the systematic observation I was far from it a um, lot more instructions a lot more command than I, than I wanted with my coaching so it's quite a good tool in terms of getting to 
well okay yes we have poor self-awareness understanding what we're doing in coaching and then making changes from that instead of just saying well yeah I want to ask more questions and not actually applying that to, to the practice that you're actually doing so what were the next steps then once you've given the coaches their their feedback and I, I know from experience of, of watching my own sessions that that first time you watch yourself back that could be quite a raw moment because you've got this kind of idea and image and vision of how you are as a coach and then you perhaps certainly with me and it sounds like with yourself you didn't realize that there was this big blind spot that's, yeah and there's no there's a, no uh, there's no argument with it it's no you know it's black and white in front of you so yeah it's tough and some take it better than others but if you're open to the process and I think the people who were involved in the, in our research had the option to be involved or not yeah. and could pull out at any time. And those that were open, to start, were, were wanted to improve and wanted to learn and wanted to get better. So it was a great realisation tool for them. And I suppose we, I was mean in, in the first instance to sort of just ask them what what behaviours they used. I showed them the definitions. Okay, what, what, what kind of behaviours did you use? What did you do? What do you do when you coach? And then showed them the information we collected, then showed them some of the videos. And yeah, it, 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 it is, and I've done it to myself, it is a little bit daunting, you're like, oh, geez, I didn't quite think I was doing that, and you're a little bit gutty, but then once you realize that, and you feel, you feel empowered in a way that, okay, I can make some changes here, I've seen this now, and I can make these changes, and I can do more of what I want to do. So what, were the, what was the next steps then, once you'd collected the data, you'd given the coaches the feedback and shown them the footage, this this is a kind of, if, to use that analogy again, the front porch of your behaviours. Where did you take it from there and what were some of the well, impacts? Yeah, we, I suppose we've said feedback. It's not. It wasn't really used for feedback. It was used to understand why coaches do what they do. So it was, it was sort of an accidental intervention, really. So from there, we just discussed and we talked about why they did what they do and, and, and from what the coaches were saying I sort of built on what they said or, or got them to explore and discuss more about why they did what they did and that was the initial sort of research process then it sort of moved to after a sit down and a, a bit of a think and moved to sort of well let's go back in so a year later these 12 coaches got whittled down to sort of five because there were only five left in the actual academy but these five coaches were then we observed them again and did exactly the same process filmed them systematical observation so counted the behaviors if you like and then went through the process again but at the end of the sort of interview process we sort of asked them why there might have been changes in the behavior not not everyone changed massively but as a collective group they did improve and change some of the behaviors and we linked that to a this sort of accidental intervention the reflective conversations that we were having the new youth awards that they were involved in, the coaches explained that that was useful and changed the way they thought about their coaching and the way they actually coached. And also CPD within the context. So we were look, very lucky to have coach educators to come in and deliver sort of in-house education, which we found very useful. The coaches highlighted as very useful. So yeah, so that was where the research project, if you like, sort of advanced. And this turned into sort of a, like a accidental intervention if you like mm -hmm. in, in terms of uh, changing coach behavior because we were in no illusion that <laughs> coach behavior is very difficult to change what we do as coaches is very 
very difficult because it goes back on a number of years of experience and beliefs and it's embedded and it's and, it's tricky and, to change yeah and those coach behaviors to what extent are they linked back to the experiences that you might have as a player i think back to my own behaviors as a as a novice coach when i first started out it was i felt very much like well i'll just do what i experienced as a player is that anything that you've found in your own work yeah definitely and and yeah when we speak to coaches it's i don't want to use the word easy but it, it is easy to use what you've always used to in mm. practice I, for myself i remember doing my level two and doing the 2v2 defending drill right. and i love taking that practice it's the practice i got assessed on it's the one i did the most and when i first started in the academy that's a practice i used nearly every week yeah i remember um, um i was a student myself at, at loughborough back right. in 2002 my i did my level two on campus fortunately we were we we were given a, um, a subsidized course throughout which meant it's early saturday morning so obviously early to bed on friday night and my assessment topic was the um the low driven pass right. i can remember going out with my flatmates from the hall for hours on end practicing my low driven pass so that when it came to my assessment i was able to demonstrate it Mm-hmm. Those who were playing with us on the uh, on the A license yesterday would would beg to differ that it had any effect. Yeah, and, uh, to be fair, it's not surprising that, like the impact culture has, tradition, what we've always done in the past. It's not surprising that it has a real grip of what we do as coaches. I think what that really bugs me does really bug mm-hmm. me in some ways, and culture tradition annoy me, and how it's got a grasp of us as coaches. And I think it's important that we we challenge that and critical. And I think some of this research started to do that and getting to understand why we do what we do is important. So, for example, that 2v2 two 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 defending, why am I doing it? Do the players actually need it? Or have they said to me they need it? Or however I want to go about in that route. But Or is it because I'm using it because it's the best that I'm at as a coach? Or it's the best practice I deliver as a coach? And I'll be honest, early year, 10 years ago, I was doing it because it made me look good. Yeah. I was walking into a brand new football academy and I felt that that made me look good and that's why I was using it, which for me is completely wrong. But I think that's the problem as well, some of the barriers that we have to face when we're, we're coaching, like the context around us and um, presentation of self yeah. to, to others. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of avenues I want to explore there. The first being that was 11 years ago what have been the biggest changes in your own coaching practice since then I think for me focusing on this sort of rationalising what I do and why I do what I do and my masters really helped me starting to firstly highlight what I do and then starting to understand then why and sort of linking some maybe some theoretical frameworks to why I do what I do so it was like, for example, I'm getting told that questioning's really, really good, or we should be doing questioning. Why should we be doing questioning? And then understanding why I should be questioning then allowed me to make a choice when I used it. And it wasn't a case I was just using it because I've heard it's good to use. I was using it based on the individuals that I felt needed it. The same with command and instruction, I understood when to use that. And, and when to use questions. So I think masters in the theory side and the, and the frameworks, although there's not one size fits all and there's not one answer to everything, it certainly helped me to start to think about why I do what I do and rationalize what I do what I do. And I'll be honest, at times I've come off and it's, 
it's been the worst session and I've looked back and I've gone well I've just used instruction all the way through I've just used command and and it's allowed, allowed me to highlight well okay you've used that therefore how am I going to change that and what am I going to do I believe in this type of coaching I believe in this type of learning this is the way I want to behave and it, for me it helps with my reflections and just develops because we are learning a lot from experience and research just that experiential learning as a it is, is re, has a real impact on us. So if we're able to reflect and learn from them experience instead of just regurgitating the same stuff over and over again, I found that really useful. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And we were having a discussion beforehand about the different coach behaviours and, and almost, I suppose, avoiding the stigma that may be attached with certain behaviours. So command being one, I think... A lot of the kind of popular opinion out there is that good and bad. What one style is good, one style is bad, and I think it's we're trying to escape that, and it's just recognizing yeah. what you get and maybe what you don't get, and what you sacrifice by using different approaches. Yeah, definitely, I agree. Like, like we said before, I think there's definitely been a shift from over when I started coaching ten years ago from command style to more question-based, more game-based activities. But there's no real strong empirical evidence out there that suggests that's the right way to move. In my opinion and what I've seen, we might do it for other reasons, motivational levels of players, their involvement, their, their enjoyment. But in terms of actual learning, there's nothing really that we can really grasp hold of. But there's been that massive shift. And I think it's like we've just said there, it's about understanding the spectrum if you like and not always sitting in one or the other but making the decisions on using if we're talking command question answer guide discovery we make that decision based on the players and even more importantly for me now the individual players yeah. which is tough really tough and you've really got to know them and, and it's very difficult but I think that's the level that we go for so we don't just sit at one side of the spectrum we move through the spectrum and I think what we were saying before weren't we about Lots of times I've pulled players out of sessions and I've started questioning and asking about the practice and they're just looking at me just saying, just flipping tell me the answer. <laughs> I don't want to know. And actually in that, that time, it is the right time to tell them and then they get back in the practice and the way they go. Yeah. But I think sometimes we get bugged down, well, we need to question and we have to now do game-based approach. I think we just need to be careful and take a step back there and, and probably move more across, across the spectrum as yeah. such. So how does this play out now in your own coaching then? So you've, you're more aware of this. What, what's the sort of process that you go through maybe when you're planning, delivering, and then starting to review your, your own practice with the, with the third teams that you coach? Yeah, well, I suppose I've got a massive cop-out, and it is a massive cop-out, where I sort of get given my sessions due to um, the EPPP. We, we, we have some flexibility, but we actually get given the session plans and the sessions we deliver. Um, the session designs and the practices that, that it gives us a, a spot on and great for the kids. The kids absolutely love them and, and we have chats a lot about how we can change them and, and, and etc. So, so the, the cop out is, is that I sort of get given them <laughs> sessions. Um, so the what is taken care of to an extent? To an extent, my behaviours is obviously, I choose my behaviours at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, then and the that's the one thing we have control of, isn't it? What we say to the kids. Yeah, so is that something that you is planned beforehand? Is completely reactionary or does it sit somewhere? 
in between? Uh, it sits somewhere in between. So I, I always have sort of questions. So I'll get sent the session plan. I can access the session plan days before. And I'll look at the sort of coaching points within that and the learning objectives of that session. And are those objectives, how are they based upon the group? Is it upon an individual? How do they look? Individuals and group. And usually what I try and do is because it's tricky, if I'm honest, to do all the individual stuff, is I look at the group stuff and then I pick out some of the individuals. And what we've started doing now is doing a lot more individual coaching before the session actually begins. So the kids get there early. They're doing their physical warm-up, which is important. And then we have a time period of sort of 10 minutes where we'll pull individuals out and we'll work with them in an isolated practice, uh, working on their individual learning objectives that have been set by the head of phase. So we're doing a lot more of that. But I suppose going back to sort of the behaviours that we that I use, it, a lot of it is reactive and you have to be reactive, but a lot of stuff you can plan. I think on coaching sessions, we plan a lot of the X and O's and we, we do all that and that's great, it looks pretty, but we sort of know that stuff and we don't actually know what questions we can ask. And there, for me, that is the trickiest bit and it is a real skill, it takes a lot of practice, but it would help if you write them down. So it's, for me, I everyone's different but for me I have a little piece of paper with questions written down based on the coaching objectives and I'll, I'll, I'll pull that out and I'll use that within my session I'll just I'll just read the question at times and as you can probably guess from the podcast is that I ramble on a bit and, and it. it helps it helps me writing down the question does help me and it helps me to articulate clearly and get to the point and um, so yeah but a lot of the other stu- stuff is reactive and yeah, and I suppose what I've moved some ways in terms of my coaching is, and we, again we discussed it before, is but understanding why I go in. So I see what I feel, something a mistake or like something's gone well, and whatever we, we praise that with feedback or whatever we do. But for the example, let's say if I see something going wrong, you see that go wrong, I go in or I pull the individual out, and I've, in the past, what I've done is started to just question or talk or command or whatever based on what I feel has gone wrong there. And sometimes that's not always the case. And we talked before about maybe I've gone in thinking it's someone's first touch. So we maybe talk about that. Where actually, if if I ask them and start talking, well, what happened there? What do you feel? Why did that not quite go as planned? It's a completely different reason like it might be their approach to the ball or it might be their start position or whatever that is and that's something I found out recently is that what I see as a coach isn't always what's happened to the player through the player's eyes I found a similar thing just working with coaches um, over the years where whereas previously a coach might have delivered a practice and then when the practice is finished I've then jumped straight in with my feedback and I haven't actually got the thoughts of, of the coach. So by flipping that on its head and go, well, tell me what, what was going through your head. Why did you do X, Y, or Z? That can lead to a, 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 a more developmental conversation. That's what I found in, in, in practice working with coaches. And I suppose the similar thing applies with players, would you say? Yeah, it's interesting. And we all see things differently. And um, sometimes it's understanding the other person's point of view. So how is that? What have been some of the success stories that you've had with this kind of change in approach to your own coaching then? I suppose just being able to, I hope I've sort of increased my awareness of what I do. And 
I think when I first started, I was a bit like a rabbit in headlights. And it was like, I'm chucking out this language and I'm saying this. And I might be saying things and doing things because I think it looks good. And I feel I have to, to keep my job, maybe. Where now, I sort of, maybe it is because I'm comfortable in the setting, because I've been in the same setting for 10 years, and I understand that. But I sort of sit back a little bit more, and I make some more, well, I try and make more rationalised decisions based on what's going on in front of me. And sometimes I do miss things, or or I see it, and I don't react quick enough. I might just have a chat at the end of the session if, it, if it's not right there and then. Where in the past, I'd suddenly stop the whole session and go in and, you know what I mean? And yeah. and so it's, it's been a bit more sort of, yeah, a bit more thinking, I suppose. <laughs> thinking about what I do, when I do it, and why I do it. And actually thinking it in the moment, in the present. Yeah, yeah. and it's tough. I think that's why we all enjoy it, isn't it, coaching? Because it's not easy. It, well, it could be easy, couldn't it? We could just... Stop sessions. Tell them what we think. Get back out, and that's it. And yeah. just, but we we all understand that now that that's not great for the players all all the time. It's not. Um, no, and I remember the, the the phrase "let the game be the teacher" was quite common, and um, it actually used to be in our in our level one course years ago, and that almost became a. A mantra for well all I've got to do is get the what right and everything else will look after itself I think it's a little bit more than that yeah definitely and when we were talking before about when, when you're in practice and um, I might see uh, an ex-professional who's played for England do something I might suddenly go well I'm gonna do that mm. but we don't really know why he's done that mm. and we don't really know like the decisions he's made and the thought process has led up to that and what he's just done there might not work for our players, my under-13s, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think we have to be careful. And it, it comes back, and we, lots of people have discussed it before, we watch Premiership football on the Saturday and the managers are shouting at the players, and, that, and that's what they might need at that particular time. And, but for us to take that back to, I don't know, in my context, under-13s players on a Sunday where they're trying to develop and learn, I'm not always... Well, I'm not always sure that's yeah. the best practice, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Second follow-up question to your, your work on coach behaviours was, and I've been trying to do this with the, some of the coaches I've been working with, is almost to quantify those behaviours. But I'm, I'm personally finding it quite difficult with, with some. So how, how difficult was it to quantify some of these behaviours that you were analysing with the coaches in your work? This is, I suppose, where the coach analysis intervention system yeah. came in, and that's a validated, reliable tool of um, with clear definitions that you can follow. So that that helped us in in our thinking. Sometimes, maybe even just writing some of the behaviours or whatever you want to call them, instruction, questioning, whatever they are, whatever's important to you, and maybe writing down the, your definition of them and what they mean to you, and having that understanding helps you then sort of identify them from the video back and sometimes it's as simple as just tallying just a simple tick every time you see that another way as well is timing the coach analysis intervention system does this all for you but you could use a stopwatch as well and time how long your interventions are time how long you use instruction and questioning and and doing it live is very tricky but from a fr- video, obviously you can stop and pause it as, as you go, go on. Um, it takes us a very long time to analyse 
you know, like one coaching session, an hour and a half, it'll take us a long time. Yeah. Um, and that's because we're stopping and we're, we're coding and we're, we're putting the stuff in. Yeah, you remind me of, well, I took the under sevens at our club a few years ago and we had 21 boys in a one side of a sports hall. There were right. three, three coaches. So we used to kind of, uh, well, we used to have three groups of seven each week and we would just rotate round. So there was a little bit of movement between practices, but we would it would give us a kind of much lower coach to player ratio. And that was that would take up maybe half of the hour that we had with them. So that that hour a week we had to be really efficient with time and the way that we work with the kids. And um, we had the idea, I think halfway through the year, of how can we use the parents better? And all we all we did was ask one of the dads, do us a favour, you're gonna be watching your son anyway because at that age they're all really engrossed in, in their, their little DNA that's running around the, the sports hall. So we said, just do us a favor, take, the, take a stopwatch or take your phone and get the stopwatch out and just time, start the watch when your son isn't active and stop it uh, when he is. So, uh, and what we did is over a, pic over a number of weeks, we would then collate that, that time and use that as a basis of, well, how have we, how efficient, if you like, have we been tonight in the way that we've managed the session between the three of us as coaches? And the first, the first week, I'm ashamed to say, was 20 minutes. So in an hour session, a third of that session, this six-year-old boy was inactive, which stung. Uh, but what we did was that over a number of weeks, I think within about four weeks, we'd managed to cut that in half. So, by, by the, a month later, we'd, um, we'd narrowed that down to 10 minutes and an hour of inactive time, if you like. Yeah. So that was just one, one way that we tried to use a systematic approach, I suppose, in, yeah. in, in changing our own coach behaviours. And it really did sharpen up and make us think about how can we plan better? How can we um, transition between practices more efficiently? How can we manage the whole hour to... to have a positive impact on learning yeah definitely it's amazing what you don't see isn't it really oh, yeah. I, I found that with my own coaching definitely using just the video is a good start and then if you want a systematic brilliant if you want to start getting some numbers in there and yeah great it, I, I found it really useful yeah. anyway and, and, and it's been good for our research it's interesting that you say, say that as well the inactivity um, with the research that we've done with Ed Culp and Stephen Harvey and Chris Cushion we're at similar levels when we've observed coaches in, in, in different sports as well, but in football, around a third of inactivity, and we're talking like drinks breaks and stuff like that, which is great, they need them, but they're doing nothing. And we've sort of started in, in the academy, and especially is that during drinks breaks, they might have a little task to do, you know what I mean? They might ask them a little question, or yeah, we, we, we plan, we plan the drinks, we plan the breaks when they are going to be and, and give them something to do, an activity based on the session and it's very easy now for us in the academy to use the tactics board so we might have a different scenario set up and we might say, okay, you're, if we're working on defending your team's 2-0 down, what are you going to do now and get them into small little groups discussion. It's certainly where I sit. I, I strongly believe in like construction of between like the reflective conversation construction between people to help with learning and develop. I strongly believe in that. 
So I try and set that up as much as I can. People talking, yeah. and not necessarily always me, but players talking together. It's interesting you bring up the drinks breaks, and I'll hold my hands up. I've been guilty of, in the past, I can hand on heart say that I've used drinks breaks tactically to give myself a rest and to set up the next practice. Yeah. The assumption is, as well, that right, all you 16 obviously need a drink as you pour the water. <laughs> all, all you 16 obviously need a drink at this moment in time and need hydrating. And I've started to in my own practice, probably because of the constraints of the time that we have with our players is, okay, there's your drinks. We're starting the session now and you know when the session's finishing, if you need a drink and when you need a drink, go and get one. Nice. But we're not going to stop you as a group and tell you that you all must have a drink at this moment. Nice. Okay. Just trying to reframe the way that we, we look at it. And that actually has, has had a significant impact. We're in June now and I was out with the boys last night and one of them said, yeah, can we, can we have a drinks break? Because a few of us need a drink. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But at least it's coming from them and not me telling them that you need a drink. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's interesting. I think that's the, certainly the shift in coaching into it that we're trying to obviously give them more ownership and yeah. X, Y, and Z. I think yeah. it's great. Great. So if I'm a coach listening to this, what might be some, um, or if a coach wanted to become more aware of their own coaching behaviours, where would you, where would you guide them to to start? Um, in sort of understanding their awareness of practice. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you, I know yourself, you've done a video, haven't you, of how you can use your, your mobile phone and, yeah. and you speak. I think that's great. And something that's the good thing about technology nowadays is that we're advanced. A lot of people have technology that they can use quite easily and using your phone and filming yourself coach or asking one of the parents to film you um, using the microphone. You don't always, don't always have to film, you could just record what you say. Um, and I think just listening back to that, uh, and I, I, I've got to admit, I do my reflections now, and, and I'll speak to yourself in the car on the way home, because mm. time is tricky, it's very tricky. And on the way home, instead of listening to um, the radio, um, just listening back to what I did in my coaching uh, has sort of helped. And then I suppose, the next step, I think that's a great, not like a great step for, for me. That was that was an initial great step, starting to look back. But then, if if you could take it, probably to the next step and start having conversations about that with someone else, yeah. that that's good as well. Um, depending who that person is, you might not want to be Tony from the pub, but someone who who coaches as well, and start having discussions about that would be really useful, um, and, and starts to sort of. Firstly, hi highlight what and how we do in practice, and that next step of the of, of the recording, the video, etc. So then gets you to start thinking about the why. Yeah. And for me, that's the important stuff. And if you start looking at stuff and what and how, and you don't really know why you did it, maybe there's some questions to be asked there. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's been a real success of the the mentor scheme that that we've got out there now. We're three hundred part-time mentors who are you know contracted to 100 hours out in the the community where coaches can build that trust and rapport with that critical friend and start to have these conversations and the feedback that we're getting from the coaches who are involved in this program is uh, as you'd imagine quite powerful yeah sure i like that language as well critical friend that's how we 
should should see them really yeah, yeah definitely yeah. there's no point getting someone who's just gonna <laughs> tell, tell you x y and z and it's, it's not really going to be much benefited you've got to choose that person wisely yeah. that person has to be someone who you respect and but also um yeah you can have a good chat with yeah I want to shift on a little bit and, and delve into a bit more of your work, if that's all right, Mark. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So, um, talk us through where where your work led next. I think there was something around a, a paper I'd read around questioning. Yeah. So, I suppose from this coach behaviour stuff and a lot of analysing the videos and looking at the data and the interviews. Again, working with good colleagues like Ed Cope and Stephen Harvey and Chris Cushion, we started to look at questioning in a bit more depth. And we sort of started to listen to the questions. And what's really great, great with the system that we're using, the Cox Analysis Intervention System, is that we can look at just questioning. So we can split that up and we look at all the questioning that these coaches are used. And we started looking at that and watching it. And we started to make some sort of analysis and some start to jot down some of our thoughts about coaches' questions. And then we thought, what about... Well, what we thought would be a good step would then to type out these questions and had them down all transcribed and we started to then look at them in a bit more detail and we started to sort of think of some well we started to think of some some things about questioning and we sort of found that I suppose the idea of questioning is to get people to think and get them to I suppose we're doing it for learning purposes so the question is for the recipient rather than the sender yeah so instead of just we could just use instruction and just tell them but questioning is a process where we want to be sort of getting them to think about what they're doing and, and, and it's good for learning apparently so and what we were actually finding with the questions was that well I suppose the first thing is that we didn't really give players time to think and time is really really important and thinking requires time so coaches would ask questions and then immediately expect an answer. And if we're immediately expecting an answer, it's probably more likely to be just a recall and memory instead of actual learning, which is fine in some cases, but we, we feel we want, to, we want to test players more and, and get them to think about and develop. And, and so that, that was one sort of thing that we come up with and that we weren't giving enough thinking time. How much do you think that we should take into or bear in mind the the context in which the question's asked? So we're sat here in a room at Lancashire FA, it's a nice calm day, we can have a comfortable conversation, ask each other questions. But when we're coaching, the players that we're asking the questions to, you know, their heart rate might be 180 BPM and they're involved in a high tempo, high intense game. It's not quite the same, would you? No, yeah, totally agree. And I think it's when we talk about the whys as well, it's understanding the context that we're in and the barriers and, and, and what's happening there. And yeah, once we're pulling someone out of a session and that's the case, um, we've probably got to bear that in mind that they not, might not be thinking. But even, even when we're tired, we can still learn. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of things that, going back to the drinks break, things um, going off topic a bit, but as coaches, if people look tired and we have to be careful of health and safety and all them sort of things and, and, and the welfare of the player but sometimes we see them tired and we stop the session go and get a drink well they're still learning in that session yeah so yeah so that sort of brings that back to to that so time was um, something we thought we, we found that questions were to groups rather than individuals 
we we found that within que the questions that were being asked, there weren't chance for discussion. It would generally, well, sort of what we call sort of convergent questions. Um, what, what, what so more sort of closed questions, if you like. So like a yes or no response. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we found a lot of that. And this wasn't actually in the research, but when in the past in studies, when I've actually talked to coaches about questioning, there were no sort of deliberately planning of questions. I'm not saying should be, but maybe that would help. So yeah, questions, there were no time given for thinking. They were given to groups rather than individuals. So yeah, we sort of found that from from the coaches. Um, we saw a lot of good practice as well. Yeah. So we did see some, well, I say a lot, we saw some good practice within. Um, what would some of that good practice have been? So we sort of saw people uh, setting tasks and getting people into small groups, um, similar to the, the drinks break thing that we talked about before. Yeah. So when they did go off for drinks, the defenders were given a little task based on the coaching points, the midfielders and the forwards as such. And they were given little tasks and then they come back and they discussed it as a group. And yeah, that's a little bit more time consuming than asking one question, but, but prob probably we would argue more beneficial yeah. for the long term for, for learning. Because I find that, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with asking the group a question. It could be f f done for a certain reason. No, but no. You, you might tend to only get certain respondents. Exactly, yeah. That and, and it's usually the keen ones, isn't it, at, at, at the front. And what I what I always find as well, I see it, I see it in coaching a lot, is that when you ask group coaching, there is a fight to get the answer out. You want to be that person. The player wants to be that person to answer the question correctly because it makes them look good. But there's no real thinking. It's just firing out what you think the answer is and and sometimes what I'm finding as well and I'm guilty for it is that when we ask questions the answers we're looking for the answers that we want and sometimes the players give great answers like like blow your mind answers do you know what I mean and and, and it's a far better answer than what I was initially thinking but we sort of like discredit it and we're just looking for that answer because we're quite narrow in that way so it's sort of broaden our thinking as well in, in, in that sense. And I've, I've learnt loads of stuff from from me under 13 players, absolutely loads really? of things. Such um, as? Well, just just things like playing out from the back and like I, I, I want my centre-back to be at a position, like a certain angle to receive the ball and so the first touch can go forward. But that's not always the case for some players. They, they might do things differently. They might be very very comfortable at using sort of the outside of the foot to take it forward if that makes sense and as a player I think of in the under 13s who's very good at that and I'm telling him to open up his body and receive the ball and take it first touch with his inside of his foot because that's the technical model in my brain but actually he's quite good at confusing centre forwards uh, twisting his body late and bringing the ball with the outside of his foot forward and he's got that vision to be able to do that so keep his body closed so he thinks forward, forwards read that, if that makes sense. So it's from having them sort of discussions where you actually think, well, yeah, actually, that's that's best for you. Yeah. Stick with it, carry on with it, you know what I mean? And how can I help you advance that and improve that? You mentioned about planning questions. What's some of the processes that, that you go through now when, when you're planning? So we, you, we've talked about you, you've got your sessions designed for you already, but how do you think about the questions that you might pose to your players and in what way? 
again, I keep talking about, I think it's really important to coach individuals and be individualised. But if I'm honest, when I look at the session plan, I look at the coaching points first. And I look at what us as coaches want these players to do. I What's the end, end game, if you like? Yeah, and I design the questions based on them. Um, then I'll start thinking about individuals and... Um, like, I'm, I suppose, well, I, I would have thought we all have it. In my 13s, there's some players who... I wouldn't ask that many questions to because they just get miffed off with it. Yeah. They don't like it. So I tell them, fine, great. For me, in, in my mind, that's, that's what fits them as individuals. Let's think about these individuals and what they need. So I suppose it's, yeah, it, it, it's tough, but then, like I said earlier, I'd have a piece of paper. I've got these little cards, actually, that I use. And I just write down the questions and I have them in my pocket. And uh, I pull them out and I use them. And think about it. Sometimes I've written questions on tactics boards, and some of that I've, I've started to use more of recently over the last year, which sort of fits into questioning in some sense. Is scenarios? I think that's great, and I've never, I never used to use it, but I saw some coaches uh, use it probably only only about a year ago, and just little things like, okay, your team's two nil down. What are you going to do? Mm. If we're working on pressing or whatever we're working on. And I feel that the kids love that. They're playing a game situation. They're in a. You could you could label them two different teams in the Premiership. And there's never a shortage. Is there? All you've got to do is watch match of the day on a Saturday <laughs> and pause the TV, and you've got yourself a scenario that you could potentially use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I suppose then it's choosing why and for what reason. Yeah, and that, that's the important bit. Yeah, for yeah. me, for me, the programs are important, and these experts are ahead of phases know what they're doing, and they know what they want the players to have because they also look at the individuals and I had a phase is great he'll, he'll look at what the individual needs he'll base the programs around that also in terms of what the academy uh, requirements are for the EPPP um, and it's all based around that and these programs are great so it's important to use them as well but then yeah being flexible as well you mentioned about there's certain players in your care that you have to be selective with if and what type of questions you 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 ask them or pose them, similar in, in my own environment. What about if the coach isn't comfortable asking questions? How could you, or what advice could you give to a coach out there that perhaps questioning isn't part of their repertoire yet? How can yeah, they start to build it in? Well, questioning is definitely a skill, and I look back at my questioning still, and um, last time I filmed myself, a couple of months ago, and I look back, and again, I'm <laughs> saying all these things based on, but yeah, it doesn't always transfer into practice. It's really tough to do these things. And some of my questions are like, that's, that's terrible. Because you can't plan all your questions. But that would be my sort of advice. Write these down and, and plan them and have them there and have them structured. And I think it, it's really tough, but you're trying to get that open question that gets players to think and get into giving them opportunity to discuss and then giving them time to do that. Mm. And in, in, I suppose in my, when I'm coaching, um, this silence off, on task is, is important that we discussed earlier, is that I'm silence on task, I'm carefully observing what's going on in the session, but I'm also thinking about my next intervention. What is that going to be? And what that question is going to be? 
I suppose there's nothing wrong with having a pen and paper there and writing it down and, and spending that time. Like, let them get on with the practice, they're fine, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny um, that we, we talk about technology and all this, but actually good old-fashioned pen and paper is, can be just as useful. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, it brings me back to even the, the session I did with the, the lads last night and, you know, they'd, they'd asked for a drinks break and it was a timely point because it gave me an opportunity to to set the two teams who were playing against each other some problems via questions and I remember a, a former colleague of ours who, who wrote our module three of the youth award John Allpress and I, I used to find it really interesting watching the way he posed questions to players because he would, would almost their natural instinct was to answer him but he would ban it back. I don't want to know the answer. The answer is for you to discuss. The answer is to well, the the question is for you to think, not for me to know the answer. Brilliant. Um, and I I was working with the boys last night and posed them a, a a question to get them to think about how they might play the the game, the condition game differently. And all I'm doing is eavesdropping. But I found myself getting tense because they drifted off into a different tactical discussion. And with one team, I couldn't help myself but start to ask more questions to try, try and guide them back where I wanted them to go. But it wasn't actually where they wanted to go. It's, you're caught in that rock and hard place sometimes, it, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, it's tough. But I suppose people will say now, well, let them get on with it, and, you know what I mean? And they should be able to explore next one and Z. But sometimes, sometimes, I suppose, we don't want to make our jobs redundant. That's the problem at the minute. Sometimes it, we might need to come back to what the focus of the session is for X, Y, and Z. And I think, I think it goes back to that rationalising and understand why we do what we do. And it might be great there that they go off and explore, but actually, okay, we, we need to move back to, to this, yeah. maybe. And I think that's where we still need to coach, you know what I mean? We, yeah. we, we're sometimes talking ourselves out of a job, but yeah, we, we're still there to, to support their learning. Mm. We need to support it, don't we? Yeah, you just got me thinking there, actually, when you, you said about... You, you just use the whiteboards as a as a place to store your questions and often we we will turn up and we'll have a we'll be working to a, a theme or a topic let's say that theme might be um you mentioned it playing out from the back well what if we could even flip that on its head and say the theme of, or tonight's session is how might we play out from the back so it, the the session itself becomes a question. Yeah. Nice. So even just as a starting point, if we were thinking about how could we include more questions in our sessions, having the session topic or title as a question might start to get us into those habits. Um, so that and that language is really important, and the, and the way that you frame them. And I know that's been some of your your work that you've looked at is is how the use of language can impact on the coach's thoughts or even dare we say it or coaching philosophy. Yeah, it was this. Well, this is where my uh, research at the minute comes in with, with the PhD that I'm doing. Is that I'll be honest, five years ago I started off and um, they come up with question of trying to well, identify this coaching philosophy. What is it? And I went into, I did a lot of reading around it and thought, great, I'm going to go into this football academy, I'm going to go and find it, I'm going to find out what it is and, and I'm going to present that in some research. And it, it got so bitty and it got so more complex than that. As I moved through the research process and 
even as academics reading academics work of coaching philosophy no one really understands what what it is there's no sort of clear definitions about it and the actual term coaching philosophy doesn't really mean anything philosophy of coaching maybe means something but coaching philosophy doesn't really mean anything but then it's interesting I, I found a clip years ago of philosophers talking about philosophy and they come up with lots of different answers themselves so the term philosophy is, is tricky but I think what I've sort of found in my PhD is that coaching philosophy is, is a bit of a buzzword and there's many others in, in, in coaching um, a hell of a lot of others uh, but coaching philosophy is a bit of a buzzword which actually means nothing and is actually quite dangerous for practice and is something that we just use to cover things up sometimes so and we hear it on the media a lot that this is my coaching philosophy this is that uh, my coaching philosophy my coaching philosophy today we didn't play to our coaching philosophy all these sort of the media and other coaches using it sort of then means we sort of reproduce that these coaches in high levels the England managers using terms I'm not saying the current England manager yeah. but past English England managers have used the term coaching philosophy well we should be using it we don't actually understand what it is we don't understand what it means it comes back to this why and rationalising and understanding um, so I see culture philosophy currently as a bit of a buzzword that's used and, and generally which is worrying for me is that when we use culture and philosophy it, it links more so not all the time but links more to a playing style so I don't know playing out from that rotation of midfielders so we talk about culture and then we talk about that we never really get into talking about coaching. We never get talk, talking about learning. We, we never talk get... about the process, yeah, yeah, rather than the actual method of or style of play. Yeah. yeah, and for me, it'd be more worthwhile to talk about coaching and learning and them sort of things. And for the last couple of years, actually, with uh, within my role as, as a lecturer with a, a first year undergraduate module, which is about theory and and practice and coaching theory. We, we sort of make a pact, students and myself, about not using the term coaching philosophy. Can't use it, can't say it like that. And we have a bit of a joke about it. Constraint. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, like we were talking about before, the coach-led uh, coach constraint approach. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, um, it, it's interesting. What I found just over two years is that you end up talking about coaching. You end up talking about learning and why you do what you why you've chosen that method or why you've done this it, it was quite interesting it, instead of saying oh it's because of my coaching philosophy or um, I do that because of my coaching philosophy it actually gets some discussions going about learning about coaching about why we do about this about practice about the behaviours if you like that we use and I found it quite useful because I think we have to be careful the language we use without fully understanding what it means mm. or saying things that we're doing and then not actually doing it in practice like the others like athlete centered that's another for me a buzzword that is used a lot in coaching without real clear understanding of what that is and, yeah. and how that helps players and develops players so what does that mean to you good question <laughs> uh, well how might that <laughs> well i suppose athlete centered it, it's sort of viewed now as as giving them the ownership doesn't it and them sort of things but I think we have to be careful of that because sometimes coaches can take that as oh set up a game leave them to it and that's good coaching that's athlete centred it's not really to me what athlete centred is I suppose it's giving them ownership and the focus around them and some of the things we've discussed 
through in, earlier in the podcast but yeah it's so much more and sometimes these words actually mean nothing in some ways and it, it, yeah I'm, I'm st- still in the process of currently writing it up but yeah it started off let's go out and find this coaching philosophy well what actually is it and it's more a buzzword yeah. that is used in coaching that actually and means is that nothing generally would you say I mean well, I, that, we've had a few discussions with with other people on the podcast and I think Professor Dave Richardson and John Moores would probably lean towards you in agreement there we've had um, Don Vincent and Andy Cale who who have said something similar but see it more of a, a way of just articulating why you're doing what you're doing my own experiences are it's just for me a filter a, a lens from which I can view the problems that come at me of which everyone is pretty much unique we might be similar face similar problems but you never really face the same problem but it gives me a a guide from which I might make a more rational decision yeah but but the term coaching philosophy doesn't actually mean that yeah that's the case and what I'm finding with coaches that they're using it and it's it's not really linking to their Mm. actual values and beliefs and x y and z and these things that we say like athlete centered don't actually underpin our coaching no. um, and for example for me understanding learning is quite will be quite important for a coach because uh, it's, it's what we do but when you speak ask coaches what learning is we come up with lots of different different definitions and we don't clearly understand what learning is and and, and that is problematic for, for in my mind um, if we're looking to develop and we want players to learn, then surely we need to understand what that is. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of been the shift there of coaching philosophy to sort of playing style. It's not really about coaching or learning, but yeah, I'm still writing it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky. It, it has been tricky, um, and I think that's where the link comes to when I talk about. I feel why is really important. To be honest, I, for me, like we have with. I found it really useful, like I said, with the undergrads and um, the first year, just get rid of the term. Like, let's just stop using the term coaching philosophy and actually talk about our beliefs of coaching then and then trying to make sure that matches what we do instead of just dropping out these buzzwords that mean nothing. So I suppose that goes full circle to almost where we started, where you're talking about, well, if you can get coaches to really start to think about what what are their beliefs, what do they believe to be true, and then... How do you then measure your own performance? Isn't a great word, I don't think. But how do you measure yourself as a coach against what, what your own beliefs are? So, in other words, I suppose, in short, are you practicing what you preach? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good place to start. What are you actually doing when you coach? Mm. And I think that's the place to start. So, what are you doing? And then, sort of understanding well, why you're doing that, and then just from that process itself, that you might start changing reasons why you do it and then for example I don't know the, the buzz thing at the minute is questioning isn't it like mm. we should be questioning well go and find out and understand why we should be questioning and why is questioning a good tool to use based on the player's needs and learning um, and then from that you can make a more informed rationalised decision on using it and when to use it and when best fits practice individuals groups etc um, but that, <laughs> It's not. I, I find coaching very tough. Like it's not easy, no, uh, and that's. I think that's why we all enjoy it in some ways. If it was that easy, and you could just get given <laughs> one piece of paper and yeah, this is coaching. This is what you do. 
and to be fair you could possibly do that and you could take that and you could just deliver that but it wouldn't be coffee would it? it wouldn't be what we feel is best for players needs no, it definitely keeps me awake at night and it goes <laughs> yeah. back to that the more that you the more you uncover the more you know the more you realise that you don't know definitely yeah, we are always learning and that's what's great about it for me yeah, yeah. so if, if coaches were um, if they wanted to think more about their own and I, I won't use the term philosophy but if they wanted to think more <laughs> about their what they do in yeah, their practice yeah how, how might they, they do it yeah how might they go about that again I suppose it comes back around to sort of this video what we were talking about I think that's a, a great tool to sort of film yourself and then if you can get into some reflective conversations about that um, and start firstly understand why you do what you do and then it's I suppose building blocks from there that best suit you um, you might find you okay yeah I'm, I understand that and I'm very good at this area not so much this area well let's go on in let's go and have a look how you can improve that and at the minute there's there's lots of stuff out there that you can do isn't there there's lots of courses the FA provide there's lots of stuff you can do educational wise and there's lots of stuff on the internet and I suppose the next step for that and one thing that really really does bug me and leads back to that culture and tradition and the impact of that on us is that let's be critical about what we read what we see and then also what we do um, there's loads of stuff on the internet which is great some of it is garbage so let's be critical of that and yeah it, it's actually reading it and then thinking about it and going well does that actually fit for my practice sometimes or I'm not sure I'm sh- having conversations are really important there's stuff out there recently about um, like online communities and talking to groups and yeah and, and critical friends the language that we used before they're, they're really beneficial it's interesting now you mentioned how available information is now and we've got which i'm sure many of the listeners will be involved in um with with a company called hive learning okay i don't know if you've seen it but it's, it's almost like a social media type platform for but for coaches and, co- and coach learning and development nice and we have a um FA coaching community on there and the the discussions that are going on and from people who perhaps couldn't would never have been connected before but from all corners of the country now having a, a discussion around the, the common problems that they are faced with and some of the methods in which they've tried to overcome those situations great and it's it's fascinating and, and inspiring to watch that happening live um, you know, because they, these these conversations are now occurring on a, on a daily basis, and it's it's it seems as though it's a a supportive community where one can go and get help should they need it. I right. think that's really important. Definitely, yeah, and it's what I do all the time. To be honest, I'll I'll ring my head affairs up and have discussions with him. I'll speak to colleagues at at the university. Um, I'll speak to my PhD supervisor and you know I mean I'll speak to other colleagues who do work. I feel it's always important to discuss these things through and they always become clearer through a discussion and construction, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that leads back to sort of full circle in terms of this what we talked about earlier in terms of these reflective conversations, helping to improve self awareness, helping for learning and our development. Yeah. Um, and just just talking about coaching, like 
it's it's annoying me a lot at the minute when I go to other academies and even in my own academy we we quite easily or these are my experiences quite easily talk about playing style and we'll bang on about x y and z about like we said the same sort of stuff at the minute uh, currently playing out from the back rotation all this sort of stuff where we don't really have great in-depth conversations about coaching I don't know and our role in that yeah yeah and even just talk like this this has been great for me this, like this podcast has <laughs> been great you know what I mean I've, I've learned loads of, and, and it's got me thinking and I've made notes here I've jotted lots of things down that make me think about yeah, the things we've discussed and yeah I find this an educational tool absolutely uh, that's what we're hoping it will be yeah I mean likewise just speaking to the range of people that we've had on the on the show has really challenged my thinking and uh, opened my mind up to, to different ideas and I think that 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 skill of reflection is something that we as coaches could could certainly improve that and, it, and if we do it can be a real game changer yeah definitely yeah. for me let's move from plan do review I know we, we, we have yeah. but let's yeah let's not just plan do review and end up regurgitating the same stuff we've done before because there's no sort of understanding of what you're actually doing and there's no actual sort of rationalisation it's just yeah so it's yeah the reflective conversations the reflections are, are really important so what uh, what sort of habits do you build into your own coaching that enable you to to have those reflective conversations again going back to the the filming is important I'm lucky lucky enough to work with an assistant so we have discussions I'll ask him quite openly I, I do ask the players but I think sometimes you have to be careful about that they give great feedback they do give great feedback but you've got to think about what their feedback is based on and then I sort of speak to assistant head of phase uh, look at the videos yeah so okay. all that sort of stuff is, is my sort of what I use for my learning and I, I say it a lot because I think some people I suppose well I'm saying it, it, it's difficult sometimes to give someone some feedback yeah. uh, you don't want to hurt the feelings you don't it doesn't always have to be negative a lot of it can be positive but I suppose there's that natural reaction to go to the negative and you feel that yeah it's it's framing it in the right way but I just say to the people who give me I'm thick skinned I can take it yeah. and at the end of the day if you don't agree with it then critically think rationalise why you do not agree with it don't just say I don't agree I'm not saying make sure you rationalise that and think okay that is why I don't and you can do that yourself yeah. and then but yeah I've, I've, I've learned loads from from doing coaching but yeah. then talking about it I think that's the key bit or else I'd just regurgitate the same stuff because the research out there we have poor self-awareness yeah. as, as coaches so highlighting that awareness is, is really important and I think part of the problem is perhaps time is just having that take Sorry. it or, or creating or protecting time to have that reflection Yeah. one of the things I, I tried in my many experiments last night was okay I, I live 10 minutes from where I coach we're on the park how can I use that that drive home and I'm, what I'm not saying is that there's going to be any level of great detailed reflection that might go on immediately on the drive home after a session but if I can just capture my thoughts somehow that might act as a platform from which I can reflect 
more critically and more deeply later on down the line. I, I know that I think it was Jenny Moon whose work I've read recommends the rule of 10, which is 10 yeah. minutes, 10 hours, 10 days is not a bad model to go on. So um, 10 minutes to get that immediate emotive response, 10 hours, okay, we've slept on it. Now what do we think? 10 days, okay, we've removed myself further from, from the event. Let's really try and make some sense of it all. So just on the drive home last night, I decided to um, set my phone off the voice notes recording, turn the radio off and just dump down everything I was thinking and feeling about the, the session. So last night, uh, what should have been an hour and a half drive took me three hours. So I was almost half an hour late to coaching, turned up in a tiz. Some of the boys were um, were having a bit of horse plays you'd expect 13 year olds to do. Yeah. And you know, the, the session didn't go as I was envisaging it when I left to drive there. Um, so I had to take that into into consideration that, you know, emotionally I was I wasn't probably in the right place by the time I got there. What I've found is that the more I've looked into the mirror rather than through the window, the more effective my reflection's been. So what I mean by that is I'm not just looking at right, the players did this wrong or this happened in the session, this worked for the player. It actually looking at myself or what was my role in that event? How did I help or hinder that process? I think that's a, maybe something important that that we need to do more of. Definitely, yeah. I think we should we should definitely look at ourselves first, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then certainly in terms of our reflections, if, if it didn't work, well, why why it didn't work? I'm sure if it w- all went well, we'd congratulate ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but if it <laughs> yeah, if it doesn't go too well, and we're looking for others to blame. Yes, I don't know. Is that human nature? I don't know, but. Yeah, certainly look at it back at ourselves. And, and time's an interesting thing. I, I totally agree. We made the argument with questioning as well that questioning like takes time. Obviously, it's um, a lot quicker just to tell. But it's important, you know what I mean? Thinking is important for learning. So, therefore, don't use time as a bit of a cop-out sometimes. And maybe that's something we need to think of with our reflections is that Maybe we can. Can we try and find time somewhere? And it, I know it, it is very tough. I, I do a lot of my reflections in the car on the way on. But yeah, time, finding a block sometime somewhere, and even chats over dinners. And you know, what I mean, sometimes you can skew the chats, can't you, in your favour, and start talking about oh, this happened last night at coaching, and it's fine. Then people who have the same passion for you in coaching, I'm sure they'd love to talk about it. But it's, it, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I think the more we can encourage coaches to, to actually think about that and take the time out to reflect, you know, the, the, the better potentially those coaches who are more effective and more than they're going to be able to help the players in their, in their care. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that was one of the main things from, from one of the, the research that, uh, lines that we did is that the, the reflective conversation, the interviews that we had with, ended up reflective conversations and it was sort of an accidental intervention that they found like really useful and this was going back to your coach behavior yeah yeah and the coach behavior stuff and when we looked at well these behaviors changed why did they they found the actual interviews when we were just talking about why they did what they did as, as, as a, like a bit of a catalyst for learning and they found that really important yeah. great mark well what i want to do is is move on and ask some questions that um, we've been asking to regular guests is there anything else 
that we kind of mapped out that we haven't discussed yet that you want to bring up before we do that though? No, I think we well, discussed quite a bit. Yeah, there, there, we? <laughs> Great stuff. Okay, so we, we asked um, Twitter and, and the coaches out there what what sort of questions would they like to hear from, from regular guests or what regular questions would they like to hear from the guests? And one of those was, what's the best investment that you've made in yourself as a coach? It might sound like a political answer, but <laughs> working at a university. But I, I, I've sort of found doing my masters, especially, really, because I suppose what I've talked about for the last, or what we've discussed links to it. And I think it's really important that we rationalize and we understand and we underpin why we do what we do and having that understanding helps me to make informed decisions when I coach and to me that's really important and I've got a lot of them sort of underpinnings if you like or started with them underpinnings through my masters and started to understand some of the theory to why I do what I do so yeah my masters are quite important for me working with colleagues within within the football academy I work with um, certainly learnt a lot with with them so I think in terms of best investment money wise probably my masters yeah. but then time as well just talking to others and these are the, like to be fair I talk to anyone about coach anyone yeah. who, who I can bore anyone who wants it's an to, obsession who wants to anyone who wants to speak to me um, and we, we have chats uh, certainly within the academy with other coaches colleagues at where I work I'm lucky to be in that environment so yeah, I suppose the biggest investment masters and then, and, and then time, spending time talking to people about coaching, I think that's important. Great. What have you changed your mind about? Um, what I've changed my mind about, I've tried to do in my coaching is probably be a bit more individual based, which is tricky, but pulling out individuals and working with individuals more than the group as a whole. Um, and that's something I've sort of changed within my coaching. Um, a lot of my coaching at the start was, yeah, this one size fits all, you're all gonna get it <laughs> as such. Um, and these are what you need to learn as a group. Now it's a little bit more individualized. Players learn, especially under 13s, there's a wide range of where they're at at the moment and potential and etc. So trying to, to yeah, take my coaching more individualized. So I've, certainly a shift to more game-based, not just because of the learning, because there's not, a great deal of evidence out there to suggest why but more for uh, motivational factors maybe enjoyment factors and from the experience and seeing how kids react in the two situations got more game based got more questioning still using feedback still using uh, commands still using isolated practice but probably more so what I'd call like playing form activities and then obviously the individualised coaching and uh, lastly what have you seen or read recently that's had an impact on your way of thinking or your coaching? I, I really like watching um, documentaries, and there's not many out there on in other sports. So the, you seem to, and it'd be, it'd be really good if, if they're doing one at the minute with the current Rugby Union Lions team. I've, there's two in the past that I've, I've got on DVD. I really enjoy watching... Living With Lions, was it? Yeah, and the, the, there's an England one as well with Clive Woodward. But yeah, recently, I, anyway, the latest Lions one, not the current Lions team that are out there in New Zealand, I watched that the other day. Um, 
and I just find that really interesting and I think again linking back to what we've discussed in the past it's not always about because they are the elite and because they're the, apparently the best of the best these coaches in and you can observe their sessions on this documentary that I watched and and you can take a lot of good things from their practice and there's great but also being critical and thinking well no that actually won't work for me and then starting to think also why you're watching it well, why are they using that how do you rationalise that and that that's difficult but yeah I've, I've watched um, quite a few of them do- documentaries now from other sports Is it um, just the rugby or yeah I've struggled to find yeah. others rugby union seem to be a bit more open door maybe that's because I'm looking out for them because I enjoy watching rugby union but yeah I think we're a close shop in football I don't really see many of them behind the scene football documentaries I might be wrong um, but yeah if anyone else can recommend any, yeah, <laughs> any other documentaries so yeah um, and, and, and I suppose this in, this is the most recent I've learnt loads from uh, this, this will certainly have an impact on me the way I think about my research my PhD but also how I coach as well yeah, yeah. brilliant well, seems like a good place to, to wrap things up Anything else that you want to get out there or get off your chest, Mark, before we finish? <laughs> it is a bit of a counselling session, isn't it? No, no just, uh, well, thank you for your time, Jack, and uh, thank you for discussing. No, it's yeah. been great. Quite the opposite, Mark. Thank you very much for, for coming on. Really appreciate your time, and um, I'll have to get you on again soon for, for another episode. Cheers. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1 and don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.